0: Amen. Good morning. You know, I want to uh, build off something that Ryan just said. He referred you to our website and to the giving page on it. If you have not actually gone and looked at that lately, I'd encourage you to do it. Like not now, but just like set a reminder for 2 o'clock this afternoon or something to do it. Uh, We've updated it with some information that you might actually find helpful, so there are actually tax changes that the IRS kind of came along and said, hey, you know what, there are a lot of people in need this year, and we want to encourage people to be as generous as they can to help folks out, and so we're going to change the tax code for this year in certain ways that really advantage folks, and that might be something that would be helpful to you as you think about what you're going to do before now uh, and the end of this year. They're also, like, giving strategies, like, we want to come alongside of you, and whether it's giving to the church or to some other organization, really... Uh, help you maximize your tax advantage and your generosity as you come into the end of this year. This has been a weird year for us. You know, we started this pandemic and and the quarantine and all of that. And and just like every business person everywhere, we as a church and every other organization that's a nonprofit went, oh my goodness, what's going to happen this year? Slashed our expenses. You know, we did everything that we could. And I just, I want to say thank you to you guys who have continued to support us so faithfully Uh, This year, as we came into the fourth quarter, guys, we came in a lot, lot, lot healthier than we expected that we would. And I'm just tremendously grateful for that. I really am. That has allowed us to help a lot of people inside and outside of this church. You know, in addition to the 300 meals that got served this past week on Thanksgiving, uh, we've served over 15,000 meals in this community because of the generosity of people in this church. That's the kind of thing that you support And that is a great encouragement to me. And so as we enter into actually, as we're almost at the end of the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter is a biggie for us and everybody else. You know, we get like 40% of the whole year's giving comes into the fourth quarter, 25% in the month of December. Uh, So I'm just saying that as a reminder um, that that's a big deal for us as we finish out this year. But really very, very grateful for all of the ways that everybody has supported uh, this church and through the church, a lot, a lot of things here in the community. So I just want to say thank you to you guys for that. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. It's awesome. All right. So as we enter into the Advent season uh, together today, here's what I want to do. I I want to tell you the difference between Advent and Christmas and not because I think that that sounds super exciting. Like if you're at home right now, you're thinking, I'm going to go get a donut. You know, like Call me when he says something relevant. And I just want to pause and go, look, this is massively relevant. Listen to the difference. What is Christmas? Christmas is the day on which we celebrate and remember the fact that our God is a God who breaks through into real space, real time, this real world, and our real lives as we remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, who is God-made man. He is God, supernaturally conceived by which he took upon himself our flesh came into the world to seek and to save you, right? Me, others. What a remarkable day. So our God is a God, and we remember this on Christmas. We celebrate who breaks through into real space, real time, this real world, our real lives. What is Advent? It's a four-week season in which we get in touch with all of the ways that we want that God to break through in our lives right now. It's like, Lord, I need a real space, real time, real world, real life breakthrough from you, and I'm going to be spending the next four weeks looking for that. The question of the Advent season, guys, is what are you longing for right now? Because whatever it is, the answer of Christmas is that, well, the answer is Jesus. He's the answer. He is the all-sufficient one. He's the one who alone can meet your longings. So as we enter into the Advent season, we start with the story of the birth of John the Baptist. If you don't know anything about John the Baptist, he was a relative of Jesus. So their moms were relatives, okay? He was conceived and therefore then born six months before Jesus was born. Mary, pregnant with Jesus, we're not positive about this, but was almost certainly present for the birth of John. She had been living in their house leading up until the birth of John. And the ministry of John is connected to the ministry of Jesus as well in that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and to proclaim and to prepare, spiritually speaking, the people of Israel in that particular day for the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus and John were born into a day in the history of the nation of Israel that was a very dark day. It was a day of slavery, it was a day of oppression, it was a day of indignity, it was a day of demeaning, it was a day of death as they languished under the leadership, under the rulership of the Roman Empire in that day and the Roman Empire at the time of the birth of both of these men was ruled at least in Judea through a man named Herod the Great and I could just regale you with stories of the tyranny of this man or I can just sort of sum it up by telling you how he died. So Herod the Great, as he saw his death approach, and he knew that everybody in Judea was going to have a party when he died, okay? So he sent out his soldiers and he gathered up some of the most beloved and leading citizens of the nation of Israel from all over Judea. He brought them all down to Jericho where he was dying and he said to his soldiers, okay, so here's the deal. The moment I take my last breath, I want you to murder every single one of these people so that there will be weeping in Israel on the day of my death. Now that's leadership you can get behind, right? Good grief. Now look, I know some of you are stressed right now. You're going, did that that happen? No, they disobeyed his last order, which meant there was like a double party on the day of his death, okay? He's dead and all these people were delivered at the same time. But you can imagine what life is like living under the tyranny of a guy like that. Creates longings. Longings for freedom, for dignity. For dignity for peace, for life. It's fascinating about the longings of the people in the Bible and it connects us to them in a way that we don't expect. You know, a lot of people look at the Bible and you're like, "Ah, you know, I mean, those people lived at the very least 2,000 years ago, okay? 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. How in the world can I relate to these people with all that's transpired and everything that's changed between the day in which we live now and the day in which they lived then? Here's how. Solid answer. You ready? Human nature does not change, ever. The human heart's the same. Everything these guys long for, we long for. And Christmas is the answer for. Not only did they long for all of those things, they longed for a word from the Lord. You know, Israel was spoken to by God through her prophets. And at the time of the birth of John, which we're looking at, but then Jesus later too, it's, it's like... All right, God had not spoken through a prophet to the nation of Israel for over 400 years. So not only were they languishing away under, you know, the tyranny of the Roman Empire and the tyranny of that particular man in particular on this particular day that we're looking at, but they felt like they were in it alone. God, speak. Would you speak? Would you give us a word, please? Like, say something. What is the word they received? It's the same word that we receive. It's the word of Jesus himself. You see, God's answer to all of their longings and all of my longings and all of your longings is Christ. And that is the all-sufficient answer. It's the only all-sufficient answer. For listen to what God says about Jesus through Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, at the time of the birth of John the Baptist. We read in Luke 1, beginning in verse 67, that John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So God is going to speak now through him, and he prophesied, speaking for God, and he says this, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, blessed be the God, or the Lord God of Israel, and here's why. For he has visited and redeemed his people, and what? Personally, as one of us, in Jesus has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke again and again and again in the Old Testament scriptures by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, but who hadn't spoken for 400 years. So here's a word. It's about Christ. It talks about a horn of salvation. What in the world is that? I mean, is that the trumpet you blow just before the army? no, no, that's not it. It's not a musical instrument. It's actually a reference to the horns of an animal, okay, which serve not only as their offensive and defensive weapons, but what else do the horns of an animal do? Like a a really amazing, you know, like, you know, rack on a stag of some kind. Like, they make him look like a king, they're regal. So the horn in the Bible became this emblem, this image, this symbol of kingly power and strength and authority. And the phrase horn of salvation is only used twice in the Old Testament, which was the only Bible that existed in this moment. The New Testament was written after this. And in both cases, it is used to refer specifically to God himself. So what is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, saying by the Spirit in this particular moment about Jesus? He's going, guys, here's what you need to know. This Christ child that Mary, who's living in my house right now and is probably sitting there listening to this, okay, this Christ child is none other but God himself. Come into the world to bring the kind of salvation that only God in his king of the universe, kingly power and strength and authority can bring remarkable. And now he begins to talk about what that salvation is. Like, what does it look like? Okay, be specific. He says, all right, verse 71, that we should be saved by this horn of salvation who is Jesus is the idea from what? From our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And God is doing this, he now reminds us all, to show forth the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant, the oath that God swore to our father Abraham to grant us. So God has promised this kind of salvation and now here this kind of salvation has arrived and it's arrived in Jesus. But what does he promise? He has promised that we shall be saved by Jesus from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And I really think that that's just two ways of saying the same thing. In other words, I think that our enemies lay hold of us, if you will, and they have a hand on us and it's like a grip that we can't get out of. And they're not just people. Like they're primarily not people, aren't they? Like there's a particular sin, let's say, in your life that you just, like it has a death grip on you, literally. Like it's killing you. It's not bringing life to you. It is bringing death to you. And you don't have the power to just release its grasp. You just, you can't. And like, he's like, no, Jesus is here in that. Like he has that power. What about death itself? Anybody here think you're going to escape that one? I'm going no on that. That's a hard no, okay? And yet is he not the one who has power over life and death? Depression, pain, fear, anxiety, loneliness, insecurity. Like all of these things come and they lay a hold on us in a way that we cannot deliver ourselves from and they create a longing for the kind of deliverance The idea being that only the horn of salvation, who is Jesus, can bring. But he's not just the horn of salvation. As you look into the poetry and you begin to unpack the images, you see there's another image and it's really profound. He's the light in the darkness. Zechariah continues in verse 78. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby... And now he speaks of Jesus. He says, the sunrise, that's Jesus, shall what? shall visit us from on high to do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we've had the horn of salvation and we've looked at, okay, so what does that mean? Like unpack that image and now we have the image of light and not just light but darkness. So what does that mean in the Bible? Because it means a lot of things and what all it means is what Jesus brings is the idea. So you just start flipping through the pages. You know, you start on page one, and you realize light is the creative gift of God. How do you come to that conclusion? Well, because you look at the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then you see the earth, and it's dark, and it's dead, and it's, it's chaotic, and it's empty. In the first creative words of God, let there be light. And everything starts changing. The Apostle Paul comes to us in the New Testament, and he's going, hey, guys, that earth, that's you the gospel works the same way it's like your heart okay it exists but it's dark but it's dead but it's just it's chaos it's it's empty until god shines the light of the glory of the gospel that we see in the face of jesus christ into your heart until he speaks the word let there be light where out here no in here so then what is darkness? Because if light is creative, darkness is decreative. If light is constructive, darkness is destructive. If light brings order, darkness brings chaos. If light brings fullness, darkness brings emptiness. In other words, darkness comes along and creates all of these longings for us for which light alone is the answer, and the answer is Jesus. That's the idea. So it's the creative gift of God, but what else do we find? We find that light is, in the Bible is given specifically to rule over darkness. You know, we're told that the sun was made to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night. And how how does light rule over darkness in those senses? Well, I mean, it chases away the darkness. That's the idea. It takes away the darkness that would otherwise make us blind. Light gives sight. Darkness blinds us. And in that blindness, there are a lot of longings. You know, I think a lot of us have been flying blind this year on some level. You know, it's like we're moving through the year and we're like, oh. Good grief, what's coming? We're still wondering, what's coming? There is darkness. There is blindness. There is light. That alone cures it. That's the point. Light in the Bible is associated with God's presence. Darkness with his absence, or really with his presence, but only in judgment. Light Represents that which is pure, darkness that which is impure. Light represents that which is true, darkness that which is untrue. Light represents wisdom and understanding, darkness foolish and ignorance. Light represents the favor of God, darkness his disfavor. Light brings joy, darkness brings sorrow and in the Bible and in biology. Light is necessary for life, darkness is always associated with death. But light also brings hope. Whereas darkness brings despair. And I think that is something that these people who lived 2,000 years ago could probably relate to a little bit better than we can. And the reason I say that is because they lived in a world with no electricity, you know, and so like when the sun went down, that was it, you know, like you're done. It's dark. There are no street lights. There's no city lights. There's none of that stuff. I mean, you know, you got a little oil burning lamp or something. It's like carrying around a candle, so, if you're traveling in the darkness, then at night, right? You're trying to get to a place and the sun goes down and now it's dark. There's nothing to illuminate your path. You don't have a flashlight. Cars aren't driving by. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to step into a hole. It's easy to be robbed. You're much more vulnerable in that darkness that hides the evils that would otherwise attack and and take you out, which means that if you're traveling at night and you come around a corner and you see one of these ancient cities that are made of white limestone, and in those days at night were lit up by torches, and so they gleamed and they were set up on hills for military reasons. Strategic advantage. Man, you were suddenly filled with hope. Why? Because what is hope? Hope is the joyful expectation okay, that the future will be better than the past. That tomorrow will be better than today. Only Jesus can give us that. He comes to us with a different world. It's remarkable. And Jesus himself acknowledges this. He says in John 12, verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Guys, the Christian gospel is that our God, in whom there is no darkness, through a supernatural conception, that we celebrate the birth of, the result of on Christmas, entered into this world to gather up all of my darkness and yours and then to put it together or to death on, his, on a cross in his body. Done. So that on the third day... He could leave behind a dark and empty tomb and come forth to proclaim light and life to all who believe. That is to say, light and life to all who are willing to come to Jesus and say, here's my darkness. I own it. I have it. I've collected it up like here it is. I'm going to give that to you and freely receive your light. So it's quite a savior that Zechariah is describing. describing. He's a horn of salvation who delivers us physically and spiritually either now or in the end and then for all of eternity from the enemies that hold us right now. And and then beyond that, he's a light who chases away the darkness, bringing, and I made a list, order, fullness, sight, safety, purity, truth, wisdom, understanding, the presence of God, the favor of God, the eternal life of God, to all who believe. And so if you think about it then, Zechariah at the beginning now of the Advent season in which we're going, hey, what am I longing for? He's coming to us and he's going, look, I don't know what you're longing for and I don't know what it is that you're using to try to satisfy your longing. I know that won't work because I know who alone works. Whatever the longing is, the answer is Christ. So I close with this, what are you longing for right now? That's the question of Advent. Advent. What are you longing for? And will you bring your longings to Jesus? Will you take them and go, you know what, Lord, this hasn't worked, and this hasn't worked, and this isn't working, and I'm pretty sure the next thing's not going to work because I've seen it not work for other people. And I, you know, I just didn't know where else to turn. And so now I know where to turn, and I'm going to take it to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but you entered into the peril of our darkness to absorb it utterly and wholly and completely into your own self and then put it to death on a cross in the person of Jesus. God, I pray that you would humble us. I pray that you would open us up. I pray that your spirit would go to work in our heart in this Advent season to break us from the familiar and to bring us to yourself. Reveal to us the beauty of a Savior, who rescues us from the hand of our enemies and who brings light even into the darkness of our lives. We praise you for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.